That was Hi, I'm Waiting by Repeat Repeat. You're listening to 97.5 WOBN, The Wild Card. I am Noah Martin, and welcome to Retrospection Radio. Retrospection Radio is a radio show and podcast um, that focuses and talks a lot about uh, different 1920s audio dramas. It also creates its own dramas, and we now have our little talk show, which is what this is. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, Reddit, really anything, uh, at underscore retro radio underscore, or just searching up retrospection radio will get you right to where you need to be. So today, once again, I am joined by my co-host, Nate. Hi, everyone. It's nice to... Well, there's there's no one here to see, but, you know, it's good to be here. Good to be back. I always joke and say that I've got my radio face on. Oh, I've got mine on, too. I've yeah. got a great radio face. Exactly. You just got to be you got to be ready for radio by having such a wonderful radio face. Absolutely, you know. It's it's crucial. It is essential that you must have your radio face. So, last week we talked a little bit about horror movies and the horror movies that are done well and done a little bit improperly uh and the different cliches and jump scares and things that stand out inside of horror movies and how that has gone on to influence us as creators and influence retrospection radio as an audio drama horror so this week we're going to be talking about the audio drama part of horror specifically we're going to be focusing on somebody who is very very important and very very famous His name is Orson Welles. You may or may not have heard of him. He's famous for the War of the Worlds broadcast, which we will be talking about today. And he's famous for Mercury Radio Theater or really anything else he's ever touched. Pretty much, yeah. I I absolutely love Orson Welles. I like his, uh, I mean, like, everyone talks about, like, Citizen Kane and stuff. I liked Citizen Kane, but, like, I kind of like his more, like, later stuff where he kind of started to get more, like... I guess uh, when he kind of earned his stripes and just started doing whatever he wanted. Because, like, I like when he's just, uh, oh, what is it? Uh, there's this one movie he did, like, F for Fake, where he's just talking about trickery and just, like, art forgers and stuff like that. And even the stuff he did, like, tricking everyone with the War of the Worlds broadcast, like, making it as, like, a like, news bulletins interrupting, like, regular syndicated, like, music playing and stuff like that, and it just made it felt more real, and I guess he would say that, like, after the broadcast, he would see, like, he had Red Cross workers coming up to him saying, like, that they were in the Black Hills of Dakota trying to, like, make people, persuade people back to come (laughs) because they ran away from their homes because they thought that it was real. Yeah, I, uh, I had just read a YouTube comment earlier on Orson Welles' War of the World, and (laughs) the comment said, yeah, I listened to this in 1939 with my mom, my dad, two boys from down the street, and my brother. And my dad said, if any aliens come close, I'm going to be kicking some tail with this shotgun. (laughs) 
And the guy's like, yeah, that's a very vivid memory of my dad and this broadcast. There's someone else who uh, their grandma ended up hating Orson Welles because she truly, <laughs> truly believed that this was real and, and this was happening. <laughs> I absolutely love that. I just like the idea of just messing with people on such a massive scale because I like messing with people all the time, you know. Like, it's one of my favorite pastimes. I'm my father's son, you know. My dad's done this, and I kind of take it on from him. But uh, just, like, the idea of just, like, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do this in a, such a massive scale across the nation. And it's just, I love the chaotic nature of that. Like, just, because it was at a time where it was just so easy to do, because there was no internet. There was no TV. There was nothing. So basically everything you heard on the radio, you just kind of had to accept. Yeah, I, I'm i going to get into that a little bit. Uh, but I, I want to get into Orson Welles a little bit on why he did this and really how. Uh, he was born in 1913, I believe. Let me double check that real quick. He was born in May 6, 1915, and he died in 1985 at the age of 70. And he pretty much went around doing theaters, live productions, musicals, various live theater things until about 1937, where he founded the Mercury Radio Theater, which is co-founded with John Houseman. And from there, it started to just shoot up in popularity 1937 1938 and 1939 which of course just shot it through the roof with the war of the worlds broadcast and it's very interesting because we said a little bit earlier the mind of orson welles was so unique as a creator as a writer as a director of course citizens citizen kane war of the worlds those are his two most famous works and Rightfully so. Absolutely. Orson Welles was able to use the medium of radio to tell a convincing story that genuinely scared people. And really, the best horror is horror where you can put yourself in that situation or stuff that you think is real. I mean, the best horror, like the stuff that's most scary is the stuff that you really don't see. It's just that what your mind puts together, it's kind of like in a, I guess like in, I guess the only example I can think of that can be likened to that is, like, uh, the scene in Reservoir Dogs where he, like, has the guy in the warehouse and he has the razor and he's going to go, you know, cut his ear off. But, like, you don't see it happen. You go and see him, like, reach for his ear, but you don't see it. So you just, your mind puts it all together and you're just like, oh, my God, he just did that. But you never see it happen. It's all off screen and stuff like that. But it's, it's kind of like that. But it's the whole time. And it's at a time where there was, like, no other media. So, basically, all they had to do was just listen to the stuff on the radio. And then that, they just, their imagination did the rest. I think people probably were more, had to have a more imagination back then to be entertained. Because there wasn't really a whole lot to do. And that's kind of why Retrospection Radio Theater was created. That old classic feel of sitting there around a radio 
or you know working out or something and listening to this audio drama these people who are living their lives but it's got a drama or horror or something is happening to them it really helps you feel immersed especially if you're listening to audio horror and it's late at night it just it's almost scarier than a movie because at least with the movie you can see it and visualize it but with audio you're just hearing it and you're in a dark apartment alone it's wonderful it is it is peak horror and that's also one of the reasons why this ended up taking off so much a lot of people were really influenced um, by it being so late at night and being able to play horror on there and that's why War of the Worlds did so well because it was at nighttime for most of the country it was on Halloween too and it was on Halloween and it just got everyone now in hindsight People shouldn't have freaked out about it. And it's even very interesting. The news and the media over overreacted, I should yeah, say. I think it was because happened. like newspapers were so like all the people running the newspaper companies were just so mad that radio just kinda came in and took everything <laughs> like kind of basically stole their thunder. So when they found out about this I mean, there were probably some people that freaked out. It might not have been as much as, like, the newspaper said because they were saying, like, people were jumping off of buildings and, like, committing suicide and, like, running away and abandoning their pets and their homes and stuff like that. But I think it was more, like, on a smaller scale. Not not nearly as, like, mass hysteria as it was reported. And I think the newspapers did that because they wanted to, like, basically, they were like, this is our moment. We're going to slam radio and obviously it didn't work because now, you know, now I here mean, we are. Who reads a newspaper? Yeah, who reads a newspaper? I'd rather listen to the radio than, ah, radio, shameless plug. Yay, us. Yeah, it's interesting, that overreaction. And I think you're probably right a little bit uh, with the whole newspaper purposely amplified it to be able to sell newspapers. I mean, because... it's such a likely story. It's just like, of course you would do that. I mean, this is like, they're just like, this is it. This is this is our moment. They just saw it. They were all sitting around. They were just like, go, go, go to the presses now. Go, go, come on, get, let's get this out now. It's just... interesting. It really does make me think, because uh, I'm pretty sure there were people who committed suicide, and I'm pretty sure there were people who just left. But I really, really wonder what those numbers were. And that's something we'll probably really never know that documentation of that there's just stories of people who their dad went crazy and was like ah barricade the doors lock the windows <laughs> but really how many i don't even know i mean it's just like i mean even kind of a. They kind of even predicted the like irrational mindset that like something like that would cause even in the drama because I think there's like a part like in toward the very end where like this central figure is like walking around trying to find signs of life and he finds this like I think he was uh, infantryman or something like that he finds him and he's like it's like ah oh, they're they're getting the people they're they're keeping them as pets keeping them in cages and making them breed and stuff and they're sending them out to like 
hunt other people and stuff. We're going to go under, and like, I got this plan. We're going to go under the ground, and we're going to take their technology, and we're going to take over the world. And then the guy's like, he walks away. He's like, hey, where are you going, man? And he's just like, well, not your world. Yeah. Not, not taking over any word, world. Thanks, though. So I think that brings up perhaps a little synopsis that we should do. The audio drama is recorded in such a way that it sounds live. All these different characters, all these different people, it sounds as if it's happening. And something that Orson Welles did really amazing is someone who perhaps died. Uh, For instance, there is a scene where there is a radio broadcaster and he's basically saying the aliens are spewing this black gas and it's killing lots of people. It's going through New York. Oh, it's 600 feet away, 500, 400. And then you listen to him like choke and fall on the ground. And then the broadcast is cut, but it's not an immediate jump to the next person. It's like between three to five seconds. It's enough dead dead air. air. Exactly. It's enough dead air to signify, oh no, we need to flip back to somebody who's talking instead of just dead air so that way the people can know what's happening. And even like earlier, there's one part where like one of the ships like crashes and they're like, there's like, we found this thing that fell on Earth. It might be a meteorite or something. And then like, I guess the aliens come out of it and they start like blasting them with like heat rays or something. And you just hear people screaming in terror in the background. Then it just abruptly cuts. And I'm just like, it's like, I can't, like I can imagine just sitting in my home and just like, you know, it's like, oh, we've got like so-and-so, Paul so-and-so here at the Grand Hotel in New York uh, with his orchestra. And then it just interrupts like, oh, we're at the scene of this like whatever. And then a few minutes later, there's people screaming like blood curdling screams and then it just cuts and there's dead air. Just imagine hearing that with like your your family in your living room. Just like I think that would just be spine chilling. I think that would just like I would just I think I'd turn the radio off. I was like, well, that's none of my business. So what's really lovely about this, I'm going to circle around real quick. The whole newspaper thing, it may have been made to discredit radio or, you know, whatever it was trying to do. But it ended up shooting Orson Welles into basically notoriety. It became famous off the fear that was yeah. made because now people are like, wow, that was so good. I think I even actually he knew that it. at the time because he was like really apologetic about it. It's like, oh, I didn't intend for this to happen. But I guess like people that knew him in private, it's like he knew that what he did was like, it's like he knew he did something legendary. He's just like, just <laughs> kind of that smoke. It's like, I know what I did. Like, I know the impact of what I've done and what, and that people are going to remember me for this and stuff like that. And he wasn't wrong because that's what most people know him for. You're like, because that that's how I first game. heard of him, I think. Yeah, I I saw a poster of War of the Worlds in my elementary school, and I was like, what? What even is that? And it was Orson Welles' War of the Worlds, uh, not not the book, not the movies. Movie? Oh, there's, there's so many with, movies. Yeah. There's a 2005 one with Tom Cruise. I think there's an 80s one. There's one from the 50s. There's, yep. Who knows? Yeah, uh, I don't know. But basically, with Orson Welles, that just shot him up, and he just kept creating more and more good content. With War of the Worlds, it was originally broadcast without 
uh, whenever you hear it nowadays, you'll hear Mercury Radio Theta, blah, blah, blah. Here we go. It's us, Mercury Radio Theta. You know it's a broadcast, okay. But originally it wasn't broadcast that way. So about halfway through War of the Worlds, there's normally, uh, well, there is now a broadcast that says, you're listening to War of the Worlds starring Orson Welles. But when it first aired, it was basically just like, oh, we're listening to this orchestra. Oh, there's explosions in Mars. Interesting. Gas explosions. Why? What? And then next thing you know, you're listening to War of the Worlds. So I think one of the first things... Actually, sorry. I guess I should go over plot. Basically, War of the Worlds starts off with you listening to a very nice orchestra. And everyone's like, oh, good job. It's it's Paul Pete with his orchestra, and he's doing all the he's doing all the music stuff. Yummy, good, yay, good job. Oh, we're now gonna shoot you over to what is it? New Jersey or something? It's Nevada. Like Princeton University or something yes, like that. Yes, Princeton University, just right outside. And we are going to uh we 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 are noticing from Princeton University in the laboratory there. We are we're looking through this telescope, and the telescope is all shiny, and it's showing us gas explosions on Mars. I wonder what it means. Maybe there's life out there. Probably not. Okay. Yeah, and like Orson's character is like, no, there's, I mean, there's people that believe there's life on Earth, on Mars and stuff like that, but the, there's it's like no, it's it's not true, and then it's like then as it progresses there's like more and more like there's more lo- there's much longer gaps between like the news bulletins which kind of makes it work and makes it more organic because as more stuff happens the interruptions are more and more frequent like you'll hear like t- 15 seconds like ah oh, now for this beautiful piano interlude and it plays it for like five seconds it's like we're now back we're in uh i don't know we're we're at some farm and there's like this there's this uh, ship that's crashed, and we're going to go check it out now. And then as it goes on and on, it's like, there's gas happening, and there's heat rays, and people are getting killed and stuff. Yeah, that's basically what it was. Uh, they had cut back with the... Sorry, after the laboratory scene, they cut back, and you start listening to the radio again, and then you go back, and it's a lot of back and forth at first, because it's set up like, oh, well, you're regularly listening to Paul Pete and his orchestra, and I don't think that's his name, but he's really a not really important character at all. And then you keep cutting back, and everyone's like, well, gas explosions on Mars, kind of weird. Oh, something just hit the Earth. Well, it, it looks like a shiny meteorite, but normally there's holes in them because of the way that they fall down into the atmosphere. Then, like you said... Uh, a whole bunch of people show up and they're like, what is this? Aliens pop out and they're like, heat rays! And just incinerate lots and lots of people. Orson Welles' character runs off to a barn and sets up like a mini radio science station to observe what just happened. And then, very interestingly, the... And I thought this part was so weird and I'm not sure why this happens. Maybe it explains it a bit more in the book. But the firefighters come in, and they put out all the fires, and they're able to pick up all the bodies and leave without the aliens attacking. And the characters mention it specifically like, wow, they let us in, they're not doing anything, they're putting out the fires, they picked up the bodies, and everything's just fine. I'm not sure why. I, I, I can't quite 
piece it together why that happened. I think I read War of the Worlds, but I don't, I literally just do not remember it. I read it when I was like in elementary school. So I, I've got nothing. But as much as I like dystopian sci-fi stuff, I I never got into it. I never read it, which is quite a surprise because you think I really would have. So from there, we start basically with the explosions and the end of humanity. Uh, you've got the giant walker things with tentacles, and they shoot out of Nevada, California, wherever they were, to New York. And then they just start walking through New York and releasing black gas and killing so many people, which is where that dead air comes in with the dead radio announcer. And here's where I started to realize, oh, this isn't really a real broadcast because it's over the course of an hour and them flying from Mars to Earth and then killing all those people and then firefighters showing up and all these different people showing up. And then at some point, there's a marshal who's like, hey, we're locking down this area. We're mobilizing all the infantry, all that. All that stuff is happening so fast. So if it was a real, real broadcast, which clearly it wasn't, uh, as we wouldn't be here today. Uh, but if it was a real, real broadcast, then that stuff would have happened quite a bit slower. And then we get to Orson Welles' character towards the end after pretty much everyone's been dead and Orson Welles was hiding out in a old abandoned barn or old abandoned house or something with moldy bread which he mentions quite a bit talking about oh you know it's still a little bit enough to stomach if I want to eat this moldy bread yum yum then he gets to an alien basically does a drive-by uh, and Orson Welles just looks out the window and sees the alien. It's like, ah, Martian. He didn't see me. Martian. Then he walks off. That's where he goes and meets the guy that we discussed earlier, who is basically like, oh, we're going to live in the sewers. We're going to steal their guns, and then we'll rule the world. Ah! And then Orson Welles is just like, cool, bye, and walked away. Eventually, Orson Welles... Yeah, and he's, like, walking around, like, New York, and, like... Exactly. I like the imagery that he says when he says it. He's, like... I think I wrote, one, like, a couple of them down. Hold on, just give me a second. So, he uses a tunnel to go through all the way over to New York, and he comes up, and there's basically a starved dog walking around with, like, a brown piece of flesh, and the dog kind of inspects and follows him around, unsure if it wants to attack him or not, and then it just kind of leaves... And he finds his way into a park and he climbs to the top of the hill and he notices all the Martians and their like their big uh, their walker things. Yeah, I can't remember what they were called. I mean, you know, they're flying saucer. I think they just called them Martian machines. Well, they they were all on the ground. So Orson Welles character is like, did they just leave them? What what happened? So he goes over and he gets closer to it. And he sees that they've all died. And he talks about in the future, uh, autopsies ended up revealing what they died of, which was basically they came here and breathed in the air and got into contact with viruses that their bodies were not used to. So it's very much so a like Europeans coming to America thing where everyone was just spreading viruses with each other. And people and populations were dying off. 
<laughs> smallpox and bubonic plague, all of that just killing so many people. And that's basically what happens with the Martians. And then some of the last things that Orson Welles talks about is the fact that he would gotten so used to that life of being afraid of the Martians that seeing children on the streets playing and, like, life returning to normal and happiness was just so weird for him. I can kind of understand that because, like, it's kind of weird just seeing, like, after something like that, you're just kind of seeing people just walk around like nothing happened when you were, like, kind of in the trenches of the whole thing and you're like, like is anyone else? Like, <laughs> I was the one who discovered them coming to <laughs> Earth. <laughs> yeah, I... Yeah, like, I really like that second half where he's, like, basically just kind of fending for himself and surviving on his own, like, when he's walking around New York and he says, like, he passes by, like, silent shop windows with displaying mute wares facing towards empty sidewalks and, like, standing alone on, like, Times Square. And I'm like, like, it gets kind of very vivid and, like, almost kind of poetic with, like, describing stuff. I'm just like, wow, like, this is... This is really good stuff. I like this. Yeah, he he truly was brilliant. And the imagery of just New York, such a bustling and busy city, constantly full of people moving everywhere, and it's all empty. Yeah, like even like when he said like I stood alone on Times Square, I was like I was like you can't <laughs> That's do- never happened. It's like you can't do that. <laughs> Oh, silly Orson, you can't stand alone on Times Square. Nobody does that. Yeah, it's it's just written so well. It is. But then I run into a slight issue. So I really like the second half of the audio drama so much that it overshadows the first half. The first half has Same a bunch here, of really. like- skipping around and stuff, but Orson's story... Him as a character living in fear of these Martians, but all of these people around him dying is so fascinating. And it's so well done, the imagery that he describes, that it just overshadows the first part to the point where the first part is almost kind of a waste. And it's funny saying that because that's the part that everyone remembers and is like, wow, it sounds so real. I kind of got the same impression too when I listened to it. I was like, it's like when I was first listening, it's like, this is interesting. Like, I kind of like how it's like starting to ramp up and stuff like that. And then I heard the second half and I was like, what happened in the first half again? <laughs> if it was a two hour one, I feel like we would have gotten that ramp up and then we would have gotten basically part two with just Orson Welles character, which would have been amazing. So I listened to a little while ago. By a little while ago, I mean when I first got into audio dramas around probably junior year because uh, I was just listening to them once a week. There was a podcast that I cannot remember and I really wish I could that did their own version of War of the Worlds. And it is basically modern day War of the Worlds. It is recorded from somebody's phone, kind of like Cloverfield. It's recorded from somebody's phone and it's them living through the first parts of New York being attacked. And then it ends with basically what Orson Welles does, where they just kind of discover, oh, they died of our diseases. And it was so well done. 
It was just a small little indie podcast, if I remember correctly. But it basically was that Orson Welles part, except longer. I think it was a man. It was like it was either a husband or a wife, and then they watch their husband or wife die from the aliens, and then they start like watching their friends die throughout it as they try and survive, and then you know eventually they get to the end and come to the same conclusions. And that part, that podcast really sticks out to me because that's what I wanted from this one. Yeah, like, I haven't heard that one. I might have to, like, there's a way I could find it. I might have to check that out because that actually sounds really fascinating. Yeah, I need to I need to give credit where credit is due, uh, find them, and definitely leave it in the description so that way you can go off and listen to it because it was it was a great show but basically i don't hate war of the worlds in fact i think it's probably his best work i like citizen kane a lot but war of the worlds is just so good i just i get disappointed by that one part (laughs) yeah (laughs) i really like uh anything he does is really just like fantastic pretty much like even um just like even his story like before he got famous and stuff like he was uh he went off to Ireland and he had a he had a donkey and he had a cart and he had a bunch of canvases and paints and paintings and stuff and he's basically traveling around painting and sleeping under the cart and i think he did this for like a summer and then he the the donkey had to get like auctioned off and he didn't have any paintings left he had no paint because he gave away all of his paintings to the people who were like feeding him and stuff like that and giving him shelter or whatever. So he's pretty much broke. And then he goes to this, uh, I forget what theater it was. He shows up to this theater and he's like, hey, he's 16 years old, mind you, while all this is happening. And he's saying, he goes up, it's like, I'm a famous Broadway actor. I'm not lying. I'm totally a famous Broadway actor. Please hire me. And then they're like, <laughs> yeah, you're a famous Broadway actor. We'll take you. So he pretty much just like his whole career is just based off of just is built on just trickery. And I just I absolutely love it. He's like a magician or something. He's just like it's like I've just been fooling people for years. I'm just a it's all just sleight of hand. I'm just like it's really just amazing. And even his monologues are really great. Like there's one at the end of this movie called like the movie I was talking about earlier, F for Fake. And he's talking about like uh art and like humanity and stuff and he's like he's talking specifically about the uh the cathedral the notre dame like cathedral and he's saying like oh yes these big stone monuments that we build to try to like remember you know to to show our achievements as a human race and when all of our cities turn to dust it will stand and blah 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 and this and that and i'm like and you're just kind of like, it just leaves you just hanging on every word he's saying because it's just like he says it with just such conviction and there's just such flow to it and whatnot. He's just a very great speaker. He has like, his voice is just like hypnotizing. <laughs> it's really like, I can't really, I don't have any other word for it. He just has a really good voice and he's just really good at like keeping your attention. He was such a brilliant man. So, to continue on the topic of audio dramas, uh, we've been talking about Orson Welles for about half an hour and War of the Worlds 
and I wanted to go a little bit into some of the other audio dramas that were coming out around this time, or that had been out for a little bit of time that were also pretty famous. First one that comes to mind is The Shadow Knows. That one is really good. I like that one. Basically, it's a mystery with, I think he was invisible or he was dead or something. There's only... He's like, I don't know what it is. He has some sort of power. It's not like invisibility. He basically has the ability... It's explained as he has the ability to cloud men's minds. So you can't see... So he just tricks people into not being able to see him or something like that. I don't know what exactly it is. And he's also like really strong and stuff like that. And basically nobody can see him. He's just a voice. So he's literally to everyone, just a shadow, except like, I forget who it is. It's some reporter or something like that, but it's basically his girlfriend. She's the only one who knows exactly who he is. And like, you know, he helps stop crime and stuff like that. And he kind of does it by, like, tricking people. There's this one dude who's, like, who has, like, bombs and he's, like, blowing up cars and stuff like that. And he basically tricks him into turning himself in by saying, like, like, oh, let's watch. He's, like, he worked. He's a night watchman in, like, a, a subway or something. And he, like, waits for cars to come up and he'll, like, come out of a hole in the ground and, like, strap the bomb to the bottom of the car or something like that. And he's just, like... He's like, ah, oh, come out, you know, we'll go get these people. Come outside, the cops won't see you. Just look at them and pretend, because you'll have the ability to hypnotize them. Just stare at them, and then the cops are like, who is this guy, like, staring at us? And then they were just like, ah, and the shadow's like, yeah, you know, I got I got the guy, but you guys get the credit, you're the cops, ha-ha, I'm the shadow, bye. So the thing with the shadow was that he was always after these dark and mysterious criminals, and he himself was kind of dark and mysterious. Nowadays, you could liken him to an early Batman with the sense of Batman is could be really considered a criminal vigilante for the amount of damage and pain that he inflicts on people. But he also goes yeah, after the crazy, dark criminals. So the shadow is a less broad sense of Batman. It's very akin to that. It takes the 1920s detective noir and mixes it with Batman and kind of creates the shadow, which is interesting. The shadow was portrayed by, you want to guess it? Oh, man, I don't know. Was it Humphrey Bogart? Nope. Hmm. Oh, I know who it was. It was James Dean. (laughs) Yes, James Dean. There you go. So it was Orson Welles uh, who portrayed the shadow. Which is very interesting. It's a nice little uh, circle around to what we have just been talking about. He started portraying the shadow in The Shadow in 1937. Uh, I'm not sure when it became The Shadow Knows. Uh, I don't know either. But it was basically The Shadow Knows was based off of the opening dialogue that is... It's like, who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows, or something like that. You said it perfectly. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. I like that introduction a lot. There's like this like orchestral, like creepy organ music, and this, this, this mysterious voice comes in cackling and saying the line. I'm like, this is, it's like, I like this. This is what I, this is the kind of stuff I like. 
just really just purposefully just spooky. Oh, so this is interesting. So the shadow was kind of designed as the portion of our psyches that we're not aware of. Not because it's mysterious or hidden, uh, but because it's the part of our psyches that we deny. It holds our impulses and our unfelt emotions and our unacceptable behaviors and our unlived dreams. And though many people would show would see the shadow as really containing the bad parts of us, the shadow is just not simple-minded. He's very complex and unique as a character. He kind of is. He's just like, he doesn't really have any goals or gains or anything like that. He's just like, I mean, the police are just kind of like, yeah, he's the shadow. He kind of helps us out. <laughs> and that, it, yeah, it's, it's it's the shadow. It's that invisible guy. Yeah, he uh, he's certainly here. And like, and even there's sometimes where there's like criminals that try to be like, they'll try to do crimes, and then they'll say, "Oh no, it was the shadow that did it. The shadow like did this horrible thing." And then the shadow comes to the police. He's like, "I didn't do that." And the police are like, "You did this. These people saying you did this. Look at the newspapers. You did this." And he's like, "No, I did not do that. I'm the shadow. I'm gonna solve this for you." I'm going to find this guy. And then he does. And then it's just like, yeah, yeah, you were all right, Shadow. I I shouldn't have doubted you. That's pretty much just what it is. He kind of, in the way, he just kind of tricks people. Like, he'll just, he just, he, he doesn't really, like, beat them up. He doesn't hurt them. He just kind of fools them into getting caught. Because, you know, since he's invisible, he can kind of, go anywhere and he always finds out who the criminal is and he's just like it's like it's me the shadow and he's like i'm gonna get you shadow and he's like no you can't i'm gonna (laughs) trick you now and you're gonna either get yourself killed or you're gonna get into the police custody i think there was one he tricked the guy into like or these guys there was these guys that were trying to get this other guy to like basically do their bidding and like do horrible stuff and he ends up tricking the guys who are doing this kind of setup job to like he basically blows them up. He's like he's like we're going to get away in our boat. You you're not going to get us and he's like I wouldn't do that if I were you. You might not like what happens and then they get in the boat and the boat just explodes. <laughs> ah yes. Our our very likable protagonist who just sets off sticks of dynamite whenever he wants to. Ah the Queen of England is coming. Well, she should have known. Boom! <laughs> Random explosions. Turns out he's an arsonist. He's been in jail for about 30 years now, but... So, The Shadow was created in 1931 by Walter B. Gibson. Uh, the Shadow, the character, however, had debuted a year earlier in Detective Story Hour, which was basically... Every week, it was basically an anthology of detective stories, and The Shadow was one of those detectives. Uh, Detective Story Hour was created as a way to boost sales and people listening to Detective Story Hour and uh, other other fine programs. Yes, Street and Smith's. Never heard of those guys. But what is that? I've, I don't know. So then 
the shadow itself was in books, magazines, comic books, and that's kind of where he started to get that popularity. So when he came to radio, it was like, ah, the shadow. I hey, I know that guy. He's from my comic book I got downstairs. And that's where people were like, okay, I'm already kind of familiar with this character. Now he's on the radio, and I'm fine with this. They're like, we want to see more of that shadow character. He's like, okay, let's do it. <laughs> well, you can't see see more of it, but uh, you can certainly hear more of it. And like, I think wasn't he originally in like some sort of like magazine public? I think they were like pulp novels or something like that that he was in. And then they were like, it's like let's take these stories and let's make put them on the radio. And they're like, that's a that's an amazing idea, man. Let's do that. Yeah, it was in a pulp magazine, um, and his first story was The Death House Rescue, in which the shadow was characterized as having the hypnotic power to cloud men's minds so they cannot see him. Uh, And then in the magazine stories, the shadow did not become literally invisible. Interesting. I I definitely always thought he was invisible, but that just might have been the way it was described and the fact that nobody else can see him besides one lady i kind of like the idea of that instead of just like it's not really he has the power of invisibility he just has the ability of i think a lot of it his powers are just mostly based in like hypnotism i think he has like strength too but it's not really like that's not really his main asset it's just mainly just it's like i can trick you into doing stuff and i can hypnotize you it's like you you don't see me because i told you you can't see me that's pretty much his that's pretty much the logic every episode ends with the weed of crime bears bitter fruit crime does not pay the shadow knows or his other one is as you sow evil so shall you reap evil crime does not pay the shadow knows which is just it's very well written but it also just sounds so corny that it's good i think it was i think it's just like it's not really that it's a cliche, it's the originator of the cliche. So when you go back, it's like, oh yeah, that's where it came from, huh? Yeah, the shadow knows. I think like it's just one of those things that I think it was a pretty like famous phrase for a while. Not as not so much now because like if you try to talk about it's like, hey, you guys know the shadows, like, what is the shadow? That's not <laughs> like bad. the thing that happens when the sun's overhead, that kind of shadow? It's like people talk about like superheroes and stuff or just whatever kind of heroes and like nobody knows who the shadow is. He's a cool character though. I'd like to see a movie of him at least like something. I think it was because the company that like that owns the character just hasn't done anything with it. And I think actually the character is going in the public domain like soon because I remember I looked it up because I was curious because like I was. There, there's one movie from the 90s, I think, with, like, Alec, Alec Baldwin. Baldwin. Yep. I have not seen it. I don't know if I want to because, I, I, I don't know. There's just a lot of the superhero movies from the 90s are kind of hit or miss. Except, like, you know, like Batman Returns and stuff like that. Yeah. So, it, it was Alec Baldwin in the 1994 film The Shadow. Uh, He was generally depicted... 
So originally, he's depicted uh, wearing a wide-brimmed black hat and a black crimson-lined cloak with an upturned collar over a standard black business suit. Yeah, so he's this got, guy, like, a big red scarf and stuff like that. Exactly. He really likes his black and red. Like he's just he really likes that fashion statement. Oh the yeah. Whole leather and oh boy, uh, Alec Baldwin wore a very similar costume uh, to the one that's generally depicted with the shadow. Uh, he generally wore the black hat, um, or he wore like a black fedora with a crimson scarf, uh, just below his nose and across Have you his seen mouth the movie? and chin. No, I am reading about it. I didn't even know it existed. I didn't. I'd heard about it because, like, I found out about the shadow like through the weirdest circumstances ever. Because I think one time, like my my grandma was talking. He's like, "Yeah, your great grandpa was like an artist and stuff." He's a, he's a really remarkable guy. He was like a war hero and blah, blah, blah. And like, he's talking about, it's like, yeah, he was an artist too. Uh, you know, your, your, um, your, your great uncle in New York has this drawing that he did and it's called like the shadow. And he sent me a picture. I was like, that's a cool looking character. And I think I looked it up and like, I had no idea that it was even like anything. I thought it was just something he made up. And then I like looked more into it and I was like, this is a cool looking character. Like, is there anything I can like see about it? It's like, Oh, it's like a radio dramas or something. And I was like, okay, I'll listen to those. And it was just like, just through the weirdest, like, I like kind of looking back on it. I never really thought it was too weird, but like, I kind of like thought about it today because like we were about to do this and like, we were talking about Orson Welles and I was like, it's like how, like through what odds would I find this out about that? Like, it's just such a weird set of circumstances. My junior year, when I was getting into audio dramas, my junior year of high school, I had Mr. Painter, who was a theater teacher and old theater director, and our high school had been built with a small radio station. It, it was. It was. Where? So. I wish, uh, why didn't I know about this? You know, the French teacher it was right across the hallway from him. Oh, you mean like in front of the where the library? Yep. I'm just now finding out about this. Yeah. So it, this is the story that I've heard. I don't know how true it is, but this is the one that I've heard and shall repeat to you. Basically, uh, Mr. Painter had worked at one of the other high schools in the district, and then our high school, as it opened up in 2003, was like, "Hey, we want to do this. Let's bring somebody over." And basically what they wanted to do was a radio program where they would work with Otterbine, which is where we are right now, 97.5 WOBN, the wild card. Nice plug. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he would work with us, with high schoolers, and they would do audio dramas. So he had, I believe, the first 30 episodes of The Shadow Nose. He had a whole bunch of cassettes of various audio dramas and he had a whole bunch of scripts. And I think he got to do it for one year before the other schools in the district said, hey, no fair, why do they get radio and various other fun theater-related things when all we get is theater? And then they took it away because parents complained or something. I don't oh, know how true that is, lame. but that was a story that I heard. And I was like, in junior year, I was like, ah, what I want to do with my life, I could have been doing in high school if – these people hadn't just been sour about it. I mean, it is for one school, but they could have found a way to do it, like, 
to include the other schools in on it. Well, it's very interesting because now, over the summers, all three high schools come together and do a summer play together. So it's not like it'd be impossible for the I mean, other yeah, and two. even, like, don't they still, every year, they have all the schools in, like, Ohio come and do, they still do the All-Ohio thing? Yeah, I I don't remember what it was called. Uh, it's Okta for adults, but I don't remember what it was for teenagers. But, yeah, I, I was just, it was very disappointing news to hear how my life would have been so changed if I had access to that stuff. And it really, what it was, his first year that he did it, he just had different teenagers playing different characters. There was one person who was just generally the shadow, and they were just doing that weekly and kind of broadcasting it to Otterbein, and Otterbein was, like, taking it and running with it. That actually sounds really cool. Yeah. And I wish they would have stuck with that because that's, like that's a very unique thing. So something I want to do is uh, maybe during this radio hour at some point play some of my old audio dramas. Or also, when Mr. Painter retired, he gave me all of that stuff. The first 30 episodes of The Shadow Nose written in script form, along with various other scripts from different audio dramas. A lot of them are horror-related. Uh, and then he gave me all those old cassettes, which is pretty unfortunate because... Vinyl's coming back, but uh, cassettes are still very, very bottom of the barrel. If you find a cassette, you're like, ah, gee, I wish it was literally anything else. I'd rather have a CD than a cassette or vinyl or literally anything else. That is true, but you can get, like, I think I've been to this, like, going around to the stores. Like, I remember, I think I remember hearing that, like, back, like, you know, when tapes were, like, the thing. I guess, like, there were, like, you know, there's, like, 60-minute tapes and there's, like, 90-minute tapes that hold, like, obviously 90 minutes of audio. And, like, I guess those were, like, the ones you really wanted. Like, like you want to get the 90-minute tapes for, like, if you want to make a mixtape or something like that because you got 90 minutes. And then, like, now, like, you go to the store and you look at cassette tapes, like, in the very niche corner of the electronic section where they have, like, little pack like four packs of cassette tapes and they're just like they're all 90 minute tapes and i'm just like wow these used to be a rarity (laughs) (laughs) and they are a rarity again it's funny how technology does that it just goes in circles where you know as i've been saying vinyl yeah vinyl is like it's the most it's the best selling physical medium right now like it's selling more than cds which is kind of remarkable really it's funny how our generation really just said hmm i'll go out and spend 80 to a 150 dollars on a record player just to listen to four songs on this record of my band that i like not even the whole album just you know not enough music to be able to fit onto the vinyl i don't know if they fixed that i still listen to sinatra and all the stuff from quite a while ago and that's where i find my vinyls but uh with modern bands i know my brother is a is a huge fan of buying new albums on vinyl so he can listen to them or even they just look good they do like you get to like read the um you get to read like the liner notes and stuff like that you get to like look at it and even like old records they have that weird like aged cardboardy papery smell and it's just like i mean i'm not 
I'm not obviously just holding the record, just going and sniffing mm, it, but, but like you, good. you can smell it. But you know, it's just like it's like it's like an old book. You know what I mean? It's like yeah, and even like the sound of like you know the record scratching and popping because it's old and dusty and you haven't cleaned it because you don't want to go out and buy a nice record cleaning kit or whatever. <laughs> You're fine with forking over the money for record player and the records, but record cleaning, nah. No, yeah, no. That's, That's not, not really, you don't really see very much of that. I'm kind of guilty of that, too. I should clean my records, but yeah, I just, I love having records. I mean, new or old, doesn't really matter, you know, because there's always, like, reissues and stuff like that, but sometimes you'll find, like, it's, like, it's kind of surprising the stuff you'll find. Like, you just go into the record store, it's like, I never would have thought I found this, but here it is. It's mine now. I bought it for like eight bucks because nobody knows what this album is but me because I'm a weirdo. <laughs> that is, uh, Westville has that antique store. Now I can't even think what it's called. Sindaloo? Yes, that one where it's just got all the records in the back. There's another place. It's right behind Graders. It's called Spinning Disc Records. It's a very small place. But man, it's literally my favorite record store because they sell albums for so cheap. Like I got a Paul McCartney record for like seven dollars, and like ba- obviously like all like the Beatles and like Led Zeppelin and Roll and you know all the popular stuff is like twenty, thirty bucks, you know whatever. But that's because it's like that's the stuff that everybody wants. But like you can find like like I said like you know Paul McCartney Santana Morris Day in the time and stuff I got a, a whole bunch of albums there for like less than $10 it's they have such good prices it's amazing but Cindaloo is really good too I, I just I just oh I'm sorry what were you saying I was just going to say I had no idea that existed I had never heard of it before I didn't know that either it was like one of my coworkers he was like when I was working at like this pizza shop one of the drivers was like I was talking about like record stores and stuff there's one that I was ranting about, I was like, man, like, it's a cool store, but the records are so expensive, and he's like, and I was just talking about record stores, and he's like, well, there's this one place called, like, Spinning Disc or whatever, and I'm like, and, like, it's in Westerville, it's just off of State Street, and I was like, no, it's not, you're lying to me right now, where is this place? <laughs> like, I went... Is it next to the tattoo shop, or, like, where is it? Is it underground? Is it on a it's, it's on the floor? ground, it's, it's uh, you know, uh, it's on... College Avenue, I think it's right across the street from like Generations and like Jimmy V's. You're like, kidding me! It's <laughs> yeah, it's like it's a very uh, inconspicuous place. Like you would not know it was there until you like walked up to the door and like saw the signs and stuff. But it is That's so weird. It is a really good store. After, it is one of my favorite places. After all these years, and especially being at Otterbein, how much I drive that way to go through uptown or get to my parents' place or get to my apartment or anything like that. I've never, ever seen it. I've seen the tattoo places that are there. I've seen the gun shop, but I've never seen that. Yeah, it's like, it's pretty much just right behind Graders. Like, there's a shoe store next to it, like, between it, but it's literally just, like, like I, like I I like I'm just like I go there and I'm just like and I never see a lot of people in there like while I'm there I see like one or two other people go in there cuz I'm in there for a while cuz I'm just like skulking about looking for whatever I want to buy. I've bought so many records from there. It's my favorite place ever. And the people that run it are very nice people. 
like and sometimes i go back there like one time i bought like a stevie wonder record there and like i went back like several months later like i hadn't been there in a while and like i walk in she's like looking at me and she's like i know you stevie wonder right how's that record and i was like it sounded really good thank you <laughs> <laughs> just like it's just an amazing place I'm going to circle back around. Yeah, we're getting off track to right now. the shadow. We're coming close on an hour, uh, which is fine. We can go over, you know, we can just end whenever we want. Uh, but I, I wanted to bring up the shadow again. And basically, you had the movie, you had the comics, you had magazines, you had all that stuff. And he was consistently the same. But what you had said earlier is correct on he just messes with men's minds but for radio uh, it, de- it debuted in 1937 with orson welles as uh the shadow wasn't he like i think he was like 19 at the time or something like that which is kind of weird to think about like he was like he was already famous by this time for like theater and stuff yeah i think it's early 20s because he was born in 1915 so plus 15 years is 1930 and then seven more years, that's 22. Like, oh, yeah. So he's probably 21, 22 while doing that, which, you know, he that's is... really young. He is our age, and he's getting this ridiculously and he's, and he's amazing totally, role. He's, like, he's killing it. Because I guess, like, there were times where they had to, like, do something, like, in terms of, like, whatever for the show... Just so because he was doing several other shows at the same time, so he'd run in and do the shadow and like do his lines, and then he'd run out and then do another show and then come back. Like I'm just like I I can just imagine just young Orson Welles just like coming in. It's like, oh uh, yes, I am. Uh, it is me, Lamont Cranston, the shadow. Uh, uh, oh look, uh, look, there's a criminal over there, and then he, like runs away, and he's just like, ah, <laughs> oh, this is me, Orson Welles, on another show. Blah blah blah. Ooh, I gotta go be the shadow now. <laughs> Oh, look, it's me, the shadow again. Uh, you can't see me. <laughs> just like, I can't imagine just like the workaholic just kind of aspect of that is just And I, I just don't understand how you don't get your characters confused with that, sprinting I around to all these different would. places, and you're like, ah, right, it's me, the shadow. Nope, sorry, this is a love story. Uh, it's me, uh, Darcy. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, uh, Darcy and Elizabeth, That's that's us, yeah. He actually did a lot of adaptations of older stuff like Hamlet uh, onto radio, along with War of the Worlds, which was a book previously. So, there's one I listened to. It was like I listened to it today because I just happened to find it, and it was what you were telling me about. Uh, I think like a few days ago, it was like suspense or something like that. Suspense. Yeah, it was. It was mark. suspense, yeah. and it was um, it was called like the Hitchhiker, and it was like the old American. There's an old American like folk tale pretty much about the vanishing hitchhiker where it's like you know it's like you're driving along and it's like you see you keep seeing a man by the side of the road and you don't stop and you pass him and then you keep finding him and it's ba- basically that and then like I mean it's just like just kind of like the mysterious aspect of it like I really like just like American folk tales it's kind of like in the same vein as like the uh what's it called, like the hook, you know, kind of like, yeah. it's like, oh, there was a hook on the car door and stuff like that. Like, I love stories like that, just kind of like those kind of, they're kind of folk tales, but they're like more, 
early 20th century kind Mothman. of tales. Like, yeah, Mothman and stuff like that. Just like all those kind of stories. I love them so much. What was, what was the other one called? It was like Carolina Devil or something like that. The Jersey Devil. Jersey Devil, thank you. Yeah, me and my brother, when we were young, we used to be very much into this kind of thing, like the creatures. I think they're called like cryptozoology kind of stuff like bigfoot and all that stuff we were we were very weird kids i mean (laughs) (laughs) i i i enjoyed a lot of that stuff too and my my knowledge that i got as a kid about star wars and lord of the rings was way more than i should have had as a kid i i mean i kind of got into very niche uh very, I got I got fascinated into very niche subjects when I was young. Like, there was a, I think when I was in middle school or like late elementary school, I got into old video games. Like, I think when I was ten, like I wanted an Atari twenty six hundred for Christmas, and I got it. I still have it. And I'm just like, I just think about that a lot. I was like, what kind of ten year old kid wants? A video game console from the late 70s and early 80s. Yeah, that was... <laughs> yeah, I, I, the Atari was good. It is. It's really good. Like, they're really simple games, but, like, they're just timeless because they're just so easy and intuitive. So I, I've had some niche stuff, but especially now as an adult, I've really been getting into theme parks and the creation of rides because a lot of the times, a lot of the theme parks have at least similar or the same rides. It's just that they'll have newer or older models and they'll just paint it and color it something different. And you don't really realize it's the same thing. So I really got into that. And also I've been getting into very niche video game history. So games from like the 2000s or the 90s that you really would never have heard of, especially around that time period. But they came out and sure they made a few sales like, there was one that was basically a zoo tycoon where you would create uh, a zoo skate park and then you could walk around in the skate park and skate, kind of like a Tony Hawk thing. And then you also would go back to a top-down view and create a skate park with like animals in it. And it was very weird, but it was popular enough that it got one, two, three games. But... I had never heard of them. And I, I mean, I'm just like, what is the interest in that? A zoo skate park game? And it's funny because it was really good looking back on it. It was really, really ahead of its time. It's just, why? Why, why do you exist? <laughs> <laughs> like, what was, what kind of demographic are they going for with that? So it was supposed to be a kid's game, but it was one of those that's like, Kids probably aren't going to like it. They liked it for the animals and, like, the skating and stuff. But, like, you're not going to get any of the skaters or skater gamers or really gamers that enjoy Tony Hawk stuff because they're going to buy Tony Hawk and other skate games, like skate. It's like, hey, did you get Skate 3 yet? No, man. But I got this one. It's like Zoo Tycoon Skater. We're going to, like, it's so cool. Just check it out, man. Just trust me. Well, and that's... Like, riffing on it, it's funny. It's a funny concept. It's a funny idea. But think of something like Halo Wars or Battle for Middle-Earth or any of those 
uh, kind of RTS style stuff where you build your bases and then you build your armies and then it's top down like that. As a kid, that's what I had always wanted was the ability to build all those bases, build that army, and then go in and fight in the army and like a first or a third person view, which yeah. is something uh, I think it was totally accurate. Battle simulator does that. And then total war doesn't really do that, but it allows you to do like a first person camera inside your army. You don't control anyone, but that's the type of stuff I always wanted as a kid. And I still want it as an adult, especially in halo or Lord of the Rings, but it just didn't ever really happen that way. That is very fascinating. Like, I never really got into the whole like RTS, like kind of strategy games and stuff. I just kind of was. I don't really know what I was into. I played a lot of different games. Like, I kind of liked games with like campaigns. I was never really good at video games. I played fighting games and stuff like that. I used to play this Dragon Ball Z game with my brother. Well, he played it. I didn't want to. That was the only game he wanted to play. So I always ended up losing because he would only play that game. And I'm just like, let's play a racing game. Let's play like Pac-Man racing or whatever. And they're just like, he's like, no, we're going to play Dragon Ball Z. And I'm like, fine. And I may or may not have taken the game out of the console and broke it. Oh. (laughs) There was just one day I just got, I was just at the end of my rope. I was just so tired of it. I was like, I, I was like, something must be done. And I, and then I also did it again. <laughs> Man, I regret this so badly. But to be fair, we've only been playing this singular game for a month now. Takes it out, breaks it again. <laughs> I, like I didn't, I don't remember doing it twice, but I remember doing it the one time. And then like my brother came, he was like, "It's like yeah, no, you did that twice. Like you did that two different times." And I was like, "With the same game," and I was like, "Well." Maybe you should have just listened. <laughs> well, I really hated that game. But looking back, it was a pretty fun game. I just didn't want to play it. <laughs> well, I mean, it's one of those, my brother and I would always play games together, especially something like Super Smash Bros. or even before that, Time Splitters, uh, which is a very niche game that I really enjoy and basically nobody's ever heard of. Uh, and really anything from the PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2 era, like Ratchet and Clank. And did you ever play like Sly Cooper? No, I, I wasn't really into platforming a lot as a kid and I was only allowed to get certain games. So like time splitters was one of those ones that, that we picked up and it's like right on the cusp of PlayStation, the end of PlayStation one and the beginning of PlayStation two. So the controls are still very wonky PlayStation 1 and before controls where they're like trying yeah. to figure out how a shooter works and yeah. what buttons to press. Like you ever played like you ever try to play Goldeneye? I remember like I like I'd heard about it and I was like it's like I got to play this game and I played it at my friend's house and like well first it started when he I never really played N64. I kind of came in during like GameCube and like PS2 and stuff like yeah. that. But when I was handed the N64 controller, I was like what is this mess? How do I play this? And I started like, and the more I played it, the less sense it made. I was like, why? <laughs> why is do this? you exist? I was like, why do you have to do all of this? I was like, is this like I'm not really knocking N64, but 
Because, like, I, it was a very new thing, so they wouldn't really know what they were doing. So they just kind of were like, Let, should we do it like this? Let's let's do all this. And then, like, now in retrospect, we have more ergonomically designed, you know, video game controllers. So now, like, we look at that and we're like, that thing is a mess. But I feel like <laughs> even at the time, I know for a fact there were people that saw the N64 controller and they were like, what, what? is this? <laughs> <laughs> Why? It's like, why is there three handles? I don't have three hands. Like, that's just the one thing that just annoys me. It's like, so how do I hold this? Like, do I hold it this way? Or do I hold it that way? And I'm just like, it's just, it's Greek to me. I just don't get it. Like, if there's anyone out there who wants to explain to me how an N64 controller works and how you hold it, just please let me know. I need to know. So, Jimmy, uh, who played Giles Godfrey in... Consberry Plague in season one. Uh, he also played a few other characters, but that was one of his more memorable characters. And a good friend of ours had an N64. Uh, and we did play Goldeneye on that. And it was a night where just like four of us were sitting in the basement playing Goldeneye. And I did well, but that's because I am just good at video games inherently. It takes maybe five minutes for me to pick up a controller and understand how to play a game. Uh, that's because I just played so much of my lifetime and played so many different things that it just works. I think the only thing, sports and racing games are the two that I don't ever touch. But uh, I picked up the controller and won the match and, you know, didn't really know what I was doing whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, how does this controller work? I, I kind of had something down where, like, my palm was moving the middle one. And I was pressing the buttons at the top and it kind of worked but it, it is really awkward and weird and there's no point to it yeah i i don't know i i want to do some research now on why that controller was designed that way if the i don't know what they were thinking but in terms of playing n64 at jimmy's house i remember one time we were playing mario party and so i had i had a controller that was a little it's a little funky little wacky so uh my controller was broken and i could only move up so i basically lost because i could only move up i could not do anything else but go up and there was just you know the 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 word the phrase of the night was pretty much just there is only up because that's all i had i just had up and i was just like and even then like i i don't i mean i'd played n64 before that point but it was after that i was like nah (laughs) we're not doing this again it's like i'm not doing this again they try they always tried to give me that controller and i was like you can't do that to me again i won't let you it's the (laughs) it's the player one controller that's like perfect and beautiful and spotless there's the second player controller that gets (laughs) smashed because you're the little brother and it just oh man that controller are you are you the older brother or the little brother I'm the younger brother. Ah, uh, yes. So me too. I got. I was the one who. Uh, I was always second player. I didn't really get to choose the game, if I was unless I was lucky. I mean, my brother wasn't like, he wasn't totally a big brother kind of type, but sometimes he was, you know, because it's an older sibling thing. Sometimes you just gotta push around the younger kid a little bit. <laughs> it's just a thing. But yeah, I always had the. Uh, See, my brother had, like, the white PS2, because we had a white PS2, so we had the nice, you know, the one that came with it, the white one, and I had, like, the the translucent green one. 
Oh, the translucent green one. I have that one. Yeah, that one is uh, mm. not particularly ideal. And I think one of the, uh, like, DualShock things, like the the thing that, like, vibrates the controller yeah. is broken because, like, the handle is, like, split in one part because I think it's just been slammed on the – probably from <laughs> my angry my angry child self being frustrated and slamming it on the floor. But – I wasn't the only one doing that. We were both doing that pretty equally. You know, there were times where I was down in the kitchen and I could hear my brother upstairs getting mad at a game. (laughs) (laughs) uh, It's just a rite of passage. You got to throw your controller on the ground sometimes. I can't remember. Could the PlayStation 1 controllers play on the PlayStation 2? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. So is that what the green one was? It was a PlayStation 1 controller? No, it was a PS2 controller. It had like the because the PS1 controllers don't have the joysticks, right? Oh. Because the, yeah, that yeah, huh. that's right. I I mean I don't know. I I never had a PS1 because like I didn't. It's a little before my time, you know. So we had the really really thick PS2. That we you had could, the like, thin one. Yeah. Well, yeah. That you could kill someone with, and then something happened to it. Admittedly, I can't remember. I'm sure my dad, if he's listening, would be able to tell me so that way I could remember. But for some reason, we ended up getting the slim one, and that's the one that we still have to this day. And my brother and I are similar and super different. Uh, A lot of the games, a lot of the stuff that we enjoy, like Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, any of that, we like. But he was always a sports guy and always always more of a, uh, you know, creative guy. What with this audio drama and all. So we would be able to surprisingly settle on games to play. Like, yeah, I'll play Battlefront 1 with you, and we'll play some Battlefront 1, Battlefront 2. And the thing is, we had this black controller that was just perfect. It was just great. We still have it to this day. It is the perfect controller, and it's just never gone out. Then we had that clear green one that you could kind of see through, and it was like a little bit janky. It didn't it didn't feel very good. And then we had we had another black controller, which was the one I tended to get, but the buttons were like hard to press in. And then the other controllers were like blue and black, and they were kind of hit or miss. Yeah. Oh, hey, my dad is listening. He just said it either broke. Uh, or we traded it in for the slim one. That would make plenty of sense. Both I just I remember likely. we went to I don't actually remember it was like Costco or something, and my dad was like, "This is the PlayStation Two. This is the gaming console." I'm like games console? <laughs> what? I know what I think, a playground is. I think is... we had like a we had like a GameCube at first or something. We had like little I don't know what we had. We had all sorts of stuff. We had like. I think we had a Game Boy Advance, and we used to play, like, Yoshi's Island and stuff like that. <laughs> and then we had, like, a GameCube, and we played your standard GameCube stuff, you know, like uh, Lego Star Wars or whatever. And yeah. I think maybe a Crash Bandicoot game. Don't know which one was on GameCube, if there were any. But there was a... Uh, I'm pretty sure that was a PlayStation exclusive. I'm not sure, but there was a... Uh, so we had that for a bit, and then my parents said, like, hey, we're getting, you know, it's like, well, we're getting rid of the GameCube. And I was like, why? 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 And then, like, for Christmas, like, we got a PS2, and it had, like, Guitar Hero and stuff. It's like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right. We'll do some rock uh, yeah, band. I'll, fine, play, I'll fine, play the fine, drums. Fine, yeah. Fine, yeah, 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 
fantastic. You know, uh, Guitar Hero, yeah. But I honestly, that was always one of my favorite games was Guitar Hero because it just exposed me to a lot of music that like. Yes, that was a I, good one. I remember this is when I was a little kid. I used to really, 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 really love ACDC. Ah, Guitar and Hero, I, ACDC. Where's the rock band? One I of didn't. Those. I didn't have that one. Oh well. But I just, <laughs> I would, <laughs> I would take the Guitar Hero controller, and I'd pretend I was playing along the ACDC. I'd play it, and I'd just be like, "Yeah, I'm Angus Young." Well, I'm so cool. Well. I just really wanted to be Angus Young. I wanted to be as good as him. I'm not as good as him, but you know, I'm good. I'm not a good Angus Young, but I'm a good Nate Powers. You know, <laughs> I can I can groove a little bit. I can't exactly shred, but you know, I could. I'm what out a here. strange phenomenon that was, Guitar Hero it and was, Rock Band. It took over so many people. Like, I'm glad to know that there were so many people that were just so obsessed with it. And it doesn't I make played sense. it so much. Like the previously, uh, in video game history, there was like Donkey Kong bongos that they I sold had for that like game. the GameCube or something. It was you like got the Donkey Kong and... Jungle Jam or something like that. Yeah, that's that where the DK rap fun. came from. Um, all right, no, I'm sorry, it didn't come from that, but it was in that one. No, so, it, was, it was it was Jungle Beat, I think. I don't know. It was something. It was Jungle something. They had tried that, and then previously they had tried, uh, not Nintendo, I believe this was Sony, had tried some form of music thing, but they never really worked. Because the whole thing is, you buy a video game console, and then you buy the games for the console, but do you want to buy more accessories for a game that you have? And this is kind of how the toy industry has gone, with the whole, you'll buy a toy, and then you can buy other things that connect with the toy and things are electronic or various other things that go with the toy industry and video game industry was like, ah, this really hit or miss. Not a lot of people bought like the Donkey Kong bongos or any of that. And then rock band came out, or I guess it was guitar hero first. Then guitar Uh, hero came first. first. And uh, everyone was like, Hey, I I guess it was a perfect storm because people had playstations or they had Wii's and, it was cheaper and a bit more accessible. Like we had between two and four guitar heroes. I think it was two for me and my brother, but like I'd play with my dad and mom and especially in rock band, my dad used to be a drummer in like a marching band or something. And he would, he went out and bought like the whole drum kit to be able to drum on there. And then we had the microphone. We had two guitars and like we as a family were a rock band. I remember one morning, we had family friends over and my mom. And I was like, come downstairs, everyone. I want to sing on the microphone for Rock Band. It's a concert. And everyone came downstairs and listened to me sing. I cry. It's embarrassing now to think about it as an adult. <laughs> but I was so excited as a kid. It was just such I remember when I saw, too, they had, like, the big box. I think we had, like, we didn't have the, uh, the wired ones. We had the wireless controller, which was uh, a nightmare to say the least. I remember many a times where we would, you, you press like a button, you plug the thing into the console and there's like a button on it and you press it and another button on the controller at the same time to make them sync. And for some reason it would work literally when it felt like it, it was <laughs> literally, it had sentience. It would just, it just did what it wanted. And a lot of the times it just would not work. And it was very frustrating. And I think we broke it. No, I think it just broke on its own. We didn't like, smash or anything but 
So shout out real quick to uh, our friend Quinn, who has very graciously let me know that it was Donkey Kong Jungle Beat was, was the name Jungle of Beat. yeah it was it was the name of uh, name of the game, which is interesting. Like it's not it's I not don't a remember bad it. name. I think my brother played it more than me. I don't ever remember playing it, but I remember having the bongos. So our family wasn't very Nintendo, so we didn't have an N sixty four, no GameCube, no Atari. I think I think really no, our Atari first was game just system Atari. was PlayStation two. Well, yeah, I realized Atari <laughs> was not Nintendo. I I shouldn't have lumped it in, but I mean any of those previous consoles, because I think our first one was PlayStation two, or maybe we traded in the PS one because we had the old Star Wars Phantom Menace game on the PlayStation one that was just not great. I loved it as a kid, but looking back on the way it was, it was so bad. I don't remember it. This is not Goog. But uh, then we got the PlayStation 2, and we all got Game Boys, um, my brother and I. And eventually we went up to DSs and DSIs, and then I bought a 3DS in college and bought a Switch. And, like, I've got a lot more game consoles, and I really love all that video game history. But as a kid, it was basically PlayStation 2 and Game Boy until... I used to have a PSP too. <laughs> oh, the Wii. The Wii. The Wii was something. I remember playing like Wii Sports and all that stuff, and I was like really serious about it. Like I would really get into it. Like I'd do the boxing, and I'd just like oh, yeah. I would sweat. Like when I was done, like I'd just be like, and like looking back, I was like, I wasn't that serious, man? I could have done that sitting down. But like even like we had another game for PS2. I don't know if you remember this. It was called iToy. <laughs> yes, we never had that? one, but it's... we had one, and it was Ugh. it was a lot of fun because it's if for those who don't know, iToy is like it's a game that comes with a little camera, and you put it like I guess where your TV is. Yeah, it's the first Connect. It's basically yeah, it's basically like Proto Connect, and it's very primitive, and you can just do all this like activities and like little games and stuff. A lot of it is kind of just little gimmicks like, oh, you can like draw on the screen or you can like do, you know, you can take little pictures and do like a little stop motion thing or whatever. And it was just like, just kind of, I think I can, the only thing I can liken it to is like kind of like Mario Paint where there's just little activities and little fun stuff. Yeah. But not like, I mean, there's some drawing stuff, but you obviously don't want to draw with it because it's pretty much just capturing the motion of you and your hands and it's. Not really the best thing ever, but it was just a lot of fun, and we spent way too much time messing with it. I think we still have it somewhere, and like I've just every now and then I just think about just breaking. Oh yeah, it out. the eye toy exists, <laughs> and it was so stupid, but we just had so much fun with it. Like, yeah, it didn't really have any games to it at no, all. It there didn't. was like it no was It was hardly a game. It was just like just something you. It was just a. I don't know what it was, but it was just so much fun because it was just. Because especially if we had, like, me and my brother and, like, our friends and stuff, we would find ways to just do really stupid stuff with it. Like, anything we had. Like, if we had a, like, if we found, like, an old cell phone with a camera on it, we did stupid stuff like that. We just, I don't know, we were, we were zany kids. We just, we, we did all sorts of stuff. Well, the iToy was, uh, one of the, I would say one of the kind of beginners of this whole concept of VR, uh, which is quite popular nowadays. But in the 90s, that's when 
companies started to experience with or uh, experiment with it because like it, it was seen as wood? the yeah exactly it was seen as the future but all of them were terrible they, they were. kept coming out they were out. all bad they just were pretty much just like let's take the screen and put it in your face and for yeah. this one we're going to make it black and red just so it can really strain your eyeballs it's just like <laughs> this is a great idea this is fantastic you think that there would have been someone at that meeting that would have been like, hey. <laughs> Let's do it. No. <laughs> so red and black. Are we married to that idea? Like, are, are you sure? Because I don't know. I, I feel like, you know, I've, uh, in, in testing, it kind of kind of hurts my no eyes. No bueno. And they're just like, no, put it out. You're you're dumb. Sorry. <laughs> well, the eye toy happened. And then the next thing that revolutionized VR was the Wii. And it's not VR, but it's motion tracking. And it's immersive. Exactly. And the Wii's motion tracking, especially nowadays, especially when it came out, like the Wii is really just, in hindsight, terrible. Yes. It, it is an awful console. It couldn't do, it didn't have any of, or half as much power. After a few years of having a Wii, we just used it for Netflix. Exactly. <laughs> it just, it didn't have anything to it to be able to stand up to Xbox or PlayStation 2. Or really, like, even the GameCube was better. Oh, uh, yeah. At least at least they kind of came back from it with the Switch. Because for a while, they were really on the whole Wii thing. They were just like, Wii. And a Wii U, it has, like, two screens you got to look at. And, like, I remember when I heard about that, I was like... Why? Why would you want that? <laughs> like, you had... Like, not only do... Why would you want to look at a tiny little screen when you got a big TV? And you have to focus on both of them. I was like, I don't want to do that. Well, it's funny how that worked because the Wii was just so revolutionary in the game market. It was. was People were literally insane about it. Like, they were going crazy. Like, I remember it. And it's kind of weird to think about because now, like, when you see people with, like, nowadays when people talk about the Wii, it's almost always to make fun of the Wii. But, like, it used to be just, like, that was, that was it, man. Like, that was, like. That was, that was end all be all of video games. Pretty much for, like. For about two years, <laughs> <laughs> I I really like the Wii. It, it's like got it a really too. great, or it's got a small place in my heart where I just love it so much. And but the fact like, that you could play like, uh, well, was, I I like the backwards compatibility. That was with so like, amazing as a kid. Yeah, being able I, to play like I was like I remember it's like why did we get rid of our why we get rid of the GameCube and it was like it's because we got a Wii we could play you could play GameCube games on it. I was like, what? I was like you can do that. It's like. But it doesn't make sense. The, the GameCube discs are so small, but yeah. the, the Wii is, the, you know, the regular size, like, DVDs or whatever. It was just, like, just blew my mind. I didn't know that was a thing you could do. Like, I, yeah. I mean, I knew, like, I didn't find it out till like, a few years ago that the PS2 was backwards compatible with PS1 games. Because I remember there was one PS1 game I wanted to find. It was, like, a Wu-Tang Clan fighting game. And I was like, <laughs> I need to find this game. I was like, I need, but I don't want to get a PS1. And I found out it was like, no, you could play PS1 games on there. I was like, I never got the game. I still haven't gotten it. It was just some weird thing I thought of one day where I was just like, what if I got this game? But I, I haven't gotten it. If, if if there's anyone that's played it, I want to know if it's good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to know it exists still, and it's not just a figment of my imagination. Oh, it's a real game, but I just want to know if it's good because, like, I like the Wu Tang Clan. I wouldn't mind playing a fighting game where I get to play as the RZA, you know, like or ODB or so. I don't know if ODB's in it. He's probably not in it because I think they made the game when he died, like or after he died. 
but I don't know. If there's anyone that's played it, please let me know. So it was it was really interesting with the Wii going kind of like Guitar Hero, how much it blew up, and then basically the next consoles, like you had the Xbox 360 versus the PS3 and the PS4. Yeah, there was like the Kinect, and there was the the uh, console the, wars, the PlayStation Move, and stuff like that. Yeah. I remember when I saw a commercial for the PlayStation Move, I was like, that is that, that looks stupid. And then I saw like a Kinect, and I was like, that's actually, like, that might be kind of cool. But then I saw the games they're putting out for the Kinect, and I was like, this is stupid. Uh, yeah, they're not good. <laughs> nobody like, wanted to play them. Nobody like, wanted to play Connectimals. There's probably some people that did, but... I'm sure it was, you know, small children and parents who were forced to. Yeah. The Kinect is actually <laughs> very popular with my family, um, as much as I hate it as what it is, because it's just not good. It's not that great of a VR. Care. It's not that good of a motion sensor or anything. And then they anything. started putting the Kinect inside the consoles. Like I think when, because I remember when the Xbox, Xbox One came One, out, yep. that was like a thing. It was huge controversy because the Kinect, everyone was like, it's going to be spying on us. And, you know, people were like, well, if it's in the console... For me, I didn't really use the Kinect. Like, we plugged it in when we did family stuff, but that was about it. And our my family and Jimmy's family still like to play the Wii and especially the Kinect, like Kinect Adventures and the Kinect Sports and all that, which are terrible, terrible games. And the motion controls are so bad, but just in a party setting, it's just fun. Yeah. I think that's pretty much, like, I think that's the only thing, like, that what it was for. Cause that's like that's the only thing I could think of that would make it like palatable. It's like if you're with a bunch of people and you're like having fun with it, like it's one thing. But it's no by no means something you'd play by yourself. I don't think anybody would play those games by yourself. Like iToy, like it's it's not as fun playing it by yourself with like another person or like two other people or maybe multiple people. But it, it's definitely not something you would play by yourself or anything like that. Like. Well, maybe Guitar Hero, but Guitar Hero is funner when you got a bunch of people in the room and you're taking turns and stuff like that and just seeing who can play better than whoever, even though you're just pressing little colored buttons. So one thing I think they're missing with the Switch is that party setting. Like, you can do Mario Party and various other games, but a lot of them, it just... I think the closest thing to that is, like, Super Smash Brothers, because you can have, like, up to... How many people can you have in that game? Like... Four, five, six? I don't know. Uh, I believe it was... Oh, no. I, remember I think I've, it's eight. I, I remember I've played it with, like, a lot of people. Yeah. And it, it's a mess. It's a mess. <laughs> and, I mean, that's if you're not doing a tourney, which is a tournament. where Yeah, if you just have everybody the on the screen, it's just a free-for-all. I find myself not being able to find where I am. Like, I, I find myself saying, where am I a lot when I play yeah. it with a bunch of people. Because, like, I'll think I'm somebody else. And then I end up falling off the edge and, and dying and stuff. And it's just, like... But, yeah. There's there's some games that are like that. But I feel like the Switch doesn't have as many of those kind of, like, fun party games. But the Switch is good because it kind of... It kind of fixed the mistakes that the, uh, the Wii U made. Where it's just, like, having the two different little screens. Where it's just, like, instead of having to do both, you have the option of doing one or the other and also the fact that you can like play it on your tv and you can also take it out and go play it anywhere you want <laughs> yeah i mean that's what makes it great i think the really big reason why switch is missing all those party games or 
missing that fun to it. Uh, like, it's still fun, but, like, that party fun. It's also missing a lot of that movement. Like, with the Wii, you had movement with the Kinect, with the PlayStation There's 1. It's kind of like that with the Joy-Cons, but it's not really, like... I mean, I don't know. It's not as much as the Wii ever had, or really any of those other ones that we kind of grew up with. Because you can move it, but the motion controls really... The Joy-Cons really aren't meant for that as much as they are meant to be just kind of portable controllers. That is true. But, like, I mean, I don't know. I, I've never really been, like, too big into video games and stuff like that. <laughs> but, like, I kind of I kind of fell off, like, when I got to high school. I was really into them. Like, I played, like, I played a lot of PC games. Like, I played, like, TF2, and I played, I, I, I just had Steam, and I played, like, Assassin's Creed and stuff like that. And for some reason, like, after after high school, I was just, like, I just kind of lost interest in it. Now I can only really play, like, arcade games and stuff like that because with an arcade game, you can pick it up anytime and you don't really have to commit to it. You're just kind of messing around. Like, I don't know. I like the simplicity of it, like Donkey Kong and, like, Space Invaders. Space Invaders is probably one of my favorite video games of all time. It's a good one. It is. It is such a simple and kind of stupid game. But it's just, that's why I like it so much. Like, that's just, there's nothing to it. But nowadays, it's really hard for me to get into video games. I remember, like, one of my friends is really into Fortnite. And I've never been into that game in any capacity. Except for one time where they were like, you should play it. I was like, fine, I'll play it. And literally, like, before I even, like, landed or whatever... I'm trying to figure out how to, like, move around and do stuff. And, like, my friends are all yelling at me, like, no, no, you're supposed to do this, do that. I'm like, I, can you please show me how to play the game so I can figure it out? Like, I don't know what the controls are. I don't play video games. Why? How do you expect me to know all this? And it's like, well, you should know, like, whatever. It's like, no, I don't know. I've never had an Xbox in my life. <laughs> I only had an – the only times I played Xboxes were at my friends' houses. For some reason, I was never, like – I don't know if it's because we were never allowed to or whatever, but we just, like, every time I'd try to ask for, like, a Xbox for Christmas, like, my parents would be like, no, it's too expensive. Yeah. I I was lucky enough to get the Xbox 360. Um, I wish I could have had that because that has a lot of good games on it. Oh, such good games. I still go back to the 360 to play stuff. Like, I missed out on that whole thing. Like, I still, like, played some of the games on there, you know, like, some of the Call of Duty games and, like, you know. Uh, yeah. You know, like Grand Theft Auto and stuff like that. That was just such a different era in gaming. It was. It was like you had those tight-knit communities, but then you didn't really because they were most of them were just bad people. Just yeah, very toxic. Just, seeing, just, just the toxicity of just like a COD lobby. Just like <laughs> the stuff that I would hear. I'd be like, there were times like my cousin or like my friends would like turn off the chat. Like I, So I never really got to hear as much as like other people did. So, like, I just wish there were times I could just go back and just say, no, put the chat on. I want to hear this. <laughs> I just <wanna laughs> We hear, need to hear this. I want to hear all these kids call other people tryhards and stuff just because they lost. Like, just, like, the, just all those phrase, like, phrases and just little terms for stuff. I'm just, like, and how people took it so seriously just kind oh, of just man. really makes me laugh. Like, I just find it really funny. Like, I'm not knocking it. I just find it funny that that was just, like, a whole, like, community. And I just kind of 
really missed the boat. I'm not really, like, regretting it, like, where I'm just like, oh, man, I wish I could have done that. But I'm just like, it's like, it's just fascinating to me. Just, like, how the kind of, what is it, the kind of cult, you know, um, the kind of cult following that some things have. Like, just, like, some people are just really, just like, I am all about this. I don't know. It's just, like. Yeah, that that kind of started the console wars with the Xbox, PS2, I think it went back even Xbox further 360, than that. It PlayStation was like, 3. Even with, like, Nintendo and, like, Sega and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean. It's like 16 bits. You know, Genesis ooh. does what Nintendo don't. And I'm like, it's like, come on. And now, now look at Sega. They don't even have a console. <laughs> They're just like, hey. And they don't make good games anymore. <laughs> we, we'll let you guys put Sonic on your console. And then everyone's like, people still play Sonic? <laughs> All right. Well, sure, you can put it on, and, and then they Sonic, put it on, and Sonic, Sonic got just... done so wrong. Like the Sonic has good games, like the old games from like the '90s and stuff. Like Sonic CD is like a really fun game. I played it, and I was like, I played this. Like, this is a fuck. This is an awesome game. And it's just like now, it's just like some of the games. I'm just like, what? Why is he a werewolf? <laughs> like, <laughs> what? Like, what is this? What is happening? I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. Why is why is Sonic kissing why is Sonic kissing this random girl? <laughs> Who is the random girl? <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't like why are there people in Sonic? Sonic. It's even when I saw that like when I saw Super Mario Odyssey, like I saw the trailer and there were like people in it. I was like, yeah. Like why are there people in this game? <laughs> well, it just it doesn't make sense cuz there should the be people... real people in Mario. It's Mario. I was going to say Mario and Luigi they're still kind of characters or caricatures. Yeah. So like seeing real people. It would have been in funny there. if they went to that world and they just became people. <laughs> they turned into Bob like the Hoskins and John Super Mario Leguizamo. Bros. movie. I I really love that movie. I used to watch <laughs> that movie all the time when I was little. Just like I think it was one of the first movies I saw with Dennis Hopper, and like Dennis Hopper is one of my favorite actors because he just is crazy in anything he's in. Like. Just like Easy Rider, Blue Velvet, and stuff like that. He's just a very crazy dude, and especially when he's like King Koopa and stuff like that. <laughs> it's just such a good movie. They use the it's NES, good, the SNES Super Scope to turn people into monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> that was the Devolve Gun. Yes, the Devolve Gun, which is how they got uh, such a weird, such a weird movie. It's like, what was? Yeah, he was. He, he he was uh, evolved from like fungus, or something like that. It it was just such a bizarre everything because Mario and Luigi. It's like from cyberpunk. The... It was like it looked like Blade Runner. Yeah, well they were they were from the real world and then they got like shot into that world and the I don't dinosaur even think... world. Yeah, where yeah. the where people evolved from dinosaurs instead of primates. I'm just like, okay. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and like Yoshi's like a real dinosaur, which is like cool. But he wasn't really in it. And like the fact that Mario and Luigi, they're like they're like, Oh yeah, we're the Mario but you know, I'm Mario Mario. This is my you know, this is my, I'm Luigi Mario. We're the Mario brothers. I'm like, all right. I mean you didn't really need uh, to explain that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I alrighty then. It's a stupid movie, but it's it's just it's just such a classic. I just I love that movie. Like I used to watch it all the time and I don't really know why. I don't know what drew me about it. It was just, it's just such a goofy movie, especially like when 
he de-evolves like some guy and he turns into like a chimp and like Dennis <laughs> Hopper's just like monkey. <laughs> just if anyone just says the word monkey, you know, I just I gotta crack a smile a little bit. I like monkeys. I like apes. So we're closing in on an hour and forty minutes. Uh, oh we've wow! Been, yeah, we've been doing this for a little bit of time now. Um, so I figure now's probably a good time to stop before we go for another extra 40 minutes on a, uh, on a different subject that I didn't have planned. We kind of went from 1920s, 1930s audio dramas to Talk video about. games. Yeah, I don't know. You know, you'll have that. Entertainment. Yes. That's why Tim, the guy that I had done radio with for the past couple years as the, uh, the talkathon, the interruptathon, and various other athons, where it's basically just sitting down with your friends and talking about the things you want to talk about. Yeah. Yeah, that's what makes podcasting fun is just, and radio fun is. Yeah, we're on the radio. This ain't no podcast. Well, yeah. So, segue, segue. Uh, Retrospection Radio comes out on the final day of every month. That's our audio dramas. But with these new weekly talk shows held Thursdays on 97.5 WOBN, the wild card at 6.30 Eastern Standard Time, you could tune in to us live. Uh, you can also message and Twitter and all that stuff to us. Uh, you heard a little bit tonight. There were some call-outs from various other people, such as Quinn and my dad. I gotta get other people in on this show, you know? Gotta, I don't gotta... know what this means, Quinn. I don't know what this means. What's he he says, remember, you can't make a rainbow without Bofa. See, <laughs> I have another thing he said. Uh, we're going to talk about this briefly, but uh, iCarly predicted streamer culture. Oh. I don't know if that's true or not. That'll I'd... be, that'll maybe we can get in Quinn next week to sit down and talk with us about. Let's just get everybody in here. <laughs> iCarly streamer culture. <laughs> let's, just well, bring, let's just bring 50 people in here. When we can get our extra microphones set up and we don't have the COVID guidelines anymore, we can get a lot more people in here to just sit down and talk with each other. But, uh, yeah, so every Saturday at 12 o'clock, this live recording uh, will be posted as a podcast on Retrospection Radio. Uh, this is 12 o'clock noon, Eastern Standard Time. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Retrospection Radio. Twitter is at underscore retro radio underscore. You know, you try your best, you know? <laughs> Uh, basically, searching up Retrospection Radio anywhere, YouTube, Podbean, Spotify, any of your podcatchers, you'll be able to hear us there. Uh, also, we're going to be continuing more stuff like this. I think it's a very good talk show where we talk about something that's inspired us, and then we kind of just talk about the stuff that we want to. Yeah. Uh, it gives two different types of content I mean in there for people. Personally, I th you know, it's a good way to spend a Thursday evening. It's a good way to spend a Thursday evening. That's right. Uh, so I want to say thank you so much for listening. I've been thank your host, you. Noah Martin, with my co-host. Nate. It's me, Nate Powers. Yeah, Coming Nate Powers. He's Nate Powers. Nate Powers. Don't call me Nathan unless you're my mom. Oh, I've been calling you Nathan for years. Oh, it's fine. <laughs> just oh, happened. It's, it's fine. You're my mom. It just happened <laughs> when I was a junior in high school. Just I had this friend that just 
refused to call me Nathan, just called me Nate until eventually I was just like, yeah, I'm Nate. Okay. <laughs> you know what? That works for me. <laughs> it's like, it's it's less syllables. I'm cool with that. Also, when I, like, also kind of stemmed from being at, like, concerts where I'm just like, hey, like, drunk people just like, hey, what's your name? And I say Nathan. They're like, Mason? Or whatever. I'm just like, and eventually I'm just like, I just yeah, start going Nate. like, Nate. Just, just call me Nate, dude. It's vibe. <laughs> You just get to that point where you're just like, yeah, I'm just going to adopt this. It's fine. I'll make it mine. You're listening to 97.5 WOBN, the wild card, right here in Westerville, Ohio, right at Otterbein University. We're going to be doing a little bit of uh, top of the hour stuff. But right after that, we're going to be listening to Violent by Carol's Daughter. That's spelled very... Interesting. Carol's daughter? Car- Carl's daughter. I don't know how to say that band name. Uh, and then we're also going to be listening to Nice to Meet Ya by The Griswolds. Once again, 97.5 WOBN, The Wild Card. Have a good night. 